Hi, I'm Scott the Miniature Maniac, and welcome to the official Miniac podcast that we are dubbing Deafening Roar. And we have a little bit of a jingle for the podcast, and like my outro, it involves death metal vocals. So I'm just warning you ahead of time, maybe turn the volume down, but we have two versions. I'd like you to let me know which you like first. So here's the first version. Okay, pretty good. And now here's the second version. All right, those are two versions. Let me know in the comments what you like more. But we're dubbing this season zero. And John, why are we calling it season zero? Because we don't know what we're doing, Scott, quite frankly. Precisely. <laughs> uh, so we don't have the exact setup we'd like in an ideal uh, podcast. Um, not necessarily all the right equipment. Um, and we need a little bit more direction to make sure that our structure is the way we'd want it or what you guys would, would like to consume. Yes. And, you know, part of that is figuring out where you want to upload a podcast. There are so many places that you can upload a podcast. With YouTube, it's really simple. You have YouTube. That's the only place you upload videos. With podcasts, you have iTunes, you have Google, you have Spotify, you have SoundCloud, you have all of these different places where people consume podcasts. And so for this initial season zero, it's going on YouTube, obviously. Um, and we're also going to put it on Spotify and SoundCloud if you want to consume it in an audio format on your commute to work or while you're walking, whatever that may be. So structure. How are we going to structure these podcasts? I think it's best if we keep the structure as minimal as possible. Um, I find that the podcasts that I enjoy listening to and watching go down some rabbit holes, focus on some things and let the conversations happen naturally. So we're going to try to do that. Um, but some things we want to keep going each and every episode are what have we been painting lately? So since the last time we met, what have we been focusing on? What's been our struggles? What's been our successes? Um, as well as answer one kind of deep dive question each episode. So a question okay. that could have two polarizing sides to it, something where we can really dig in and, and see the pluses and minuses. An example would be, when is it okay to buy a recast model? Yes. And is it ever okay to buy a recast model? That, you know, that has a very, there are two opinions to that side. Um, so that being said, we'd like feedback from you guys about what you like about this structure or just the style of the podcast, if you don't like it at all, or what things you do like that we should continue doing. We'd like all your feedback to be in the comment section below. All right, so let's start with the normal format for the video. And so let's talk about what we painted. So John, what have you painted in the last week or two weeks? Well, I'm kind of balls deep in my Resin Beast competition piece for Adepticon this year. Okay. Um, so my plan was that I was going to enter Crystal Brush, uh, okay. and then Creature Caster announced this competition. I'm like, yes, I'm going to do that. And I'm like, I'll have time to do both. But uh, note to self, Creature Caster models are big. Yeah. Really so, big. This model I understand. Adepticon is a convention, right? Oh, sure. Yes. And the premier competition for painting miniatures at Adepticon is called Crystal Brush. Right. And up until, I think this year, that, that has been the only painting competition at Crystal Brush. Everyone enters it. But this is the first year where a different third-party company, Creature Caster, which makes big monsters. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't know, I'm checking them out. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, decided to host their own competition of just Creature Caster models. 
Yeah. And so now, now there's two painting competitions uh, going on, and John's entered the Creature Caster one. Right. And then if I if I get time, which I'm sure I won't, I I was gonna paint one of the Song of Ice and Fire models for a <laughs> oh, yeah. crystal brush. Why are you gonna pick? Why that category, John? Uh, <laughs> because I feel like I have a chance to actually compete in that category yeah. because it's they, they do the CMON pop-up category each year. They announce like 90 days or less before the actual <laughs> event and then you gotta you can only paint those models this year. It's their their Song of Ice and Fire game minis. So yeah. I might be able to knock one of those out in a week. Yeah. So but anyway, so so with this competitive piece that I'm doing for uh Creature Caster I'm doing the Plague Angel, and I have spent at least the last week on painting wings. Just wings. <laughs> so it has the wings. I measured them last night, so I have a, a frame of reference. They're f- over five inches long, each <laughs> wing. And they, at, in the middle, they're almost two inches wide. Um, and that's a big freaking wing. Yeah. And so it has both sides and then both wings. Yeah, so that is yeah. four straight up faces. It's big flat areas. Yes. Yeah. And and they're beautifully sculpted with each individual feather, but you have to remember that each strand that makes up a feather catches light on each of those rims. Yeah. And deciding the balance between how much of those fine line work you do and how much would have completely been lost in the shadow it sucks, yeah. quite frankly. <laughs> yeah. Um and it takes just a lot of a lot of time to do all that highlighting. So I've been doing that and I'll probably be continuing to do that. Do you find that competition painting, okay, this is a fun question. How, what percentage of competition painting is fun and what is not fun? Like if you had to take your entire model you painted, your monster, mm-hmm. and it took 100 hours, how many of those 100 hours are painstaking and how many are actually enjoyable? Ugh. I would say it's about a 70-30 or 70% I just despise it or I've despised how it's looking and 30% of trying to convince myself that, oh man, I got a shot. Yeah. I got a shot, right? right? And you have to live off those those like positive moments Yeah. and then like don't go out and look at the, the social media of what other people are doing because yeah. then you're like, ah, oh, fuck, mine sucks now. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of breaking down and just struggling through it to get to a spot where you want to be. And I don't know, this is a big, big piece. This is really the first big model I've ever done too. Okay, yeah. So I didn't realize going in how much time. Yeah, I haven't painted many big models either other than Tree Lord Ancient, um, but I did mostly airbrush work for that. So I didn't, yeah. I may have invested 15, 20 hours, maybe. Um, but yeah, so are you painting it where you paint the whole miniature uh, and then you kind of improve the quality of it over time? Or are you tackling one part to completion, next part to completion? How are you doing it on this big model? Oh, yeah, the way you describe it makes it sound like uh, I did have a thought process. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that was cool to paint. Let's yeah, paint that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I totally did not have a, a plan coming into it. And I think I will have just decided upon one by the time I'm done for number two. But um, I went through and I wanted to get everything like 90% and then get all the pieces together and then do that last 10% because I'm painting him in sub assemblies where his big, huge weapon, the scythe is separate. And then his wings are separate. The actual big rock he's standing on is separate. And then the base that I'm building is separate. 
Um, that was my plan. And then I realized that if once I put the scythe and the wings on, there's a huge sections that I'm not going to be able to easily navigate. Yeah. So I kind of got them all to 90. I like just physically put them next to each other <laughs> and then did my best. Okay. So that's what I'm trying to, I, that's my plan. So we'll see. But the the body is mostly done or done. We'll see what time allows. Yeah. Nothing for competition is ever really done. Yeah. You're always aware of more work. It's like you you choose to decide to stop painting something. Yep. You will never be 100% done with the competition piece. Yeah. And that's a weird thing, too, where I'm saying like, oh, yeah, then I can maybe paint this other mini for for Crystal Brush if I get this one done. But yeah. I'm never going to be done. Right. right. So <laughs> I don't know. So enough about me. What have you been painting? Well, because it is the months and weeks before Crystal Brush, I've also worked on my Crystal Brush entry, mostly in construction. So I have this idea, you may be aware, if you're a viewer on this channel, I have an entry that's going to be called Homecoming. It's about a witch being burned on a cross, which is not historically accurate, I know, but it's cool, so <laughs> shove it. <laughs> um, but I wanted to... Uh, Think of a way that you could have something look super evil mm -hmm. uh, without it being a monster or a guy holding a decapitated head. So that's why I went with this. It's a super sinister looking witch face and she's like almost happy to be burning alive. So I'm on the construction, on the basing work, making the, the display base uh, with the church in the background. And you and I had a conversation about, you know, what's going to make you stand out in Crystal Brush, especially mm -hmm. in single figure. Yeah. Which now it's one category. So oh. That's a whole different topic. Oh. But now the two single categories, single sci-fi and single fantasy, are one. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a category that has like 40 entries, 30 entries, how do you stand out? And you and I decided that it was about having dimension in your base. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can explain what that means. So typically for competition pieces, your, your piece is on a base. And typically you have so big of size, right? I think it's 60 mill is the widest you can do for uh, crystal brush. Yeah, yeah. And so folks tend to do one of two things. One, they either add little to no height on the on the base itself. So yeah. it just creates a, a 2D platform. Or two, there's the fashionable put a backdrop that I hand painted behind the thing. And you don't like that very much, do you? I, I hate it. <laughs> I, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that we're taking our, our three-dimensional art form and we are forcing it to be two dimensions by putting a sheet behind it. Okay. And it's just a way to, to show that I can freehand. Okay. But anyway, some of them are beautifully done. Yes. Some of them are beautifully done. Um, that was saving face right there. That was the saving <laughs> face comment. <laughs> Love you, Sam. Uh, so, so what So what we did talked about was, okay, how can you you add depth and dimension with such a small you know, space in your in your base um, without just adding that sheet behind it. And so you are building an actual building that has depth to it. And that's a part of the story you're telling and not what's felt like an afterthought. Your piece, if you were to take your backdrop built piece off of it, yeah. It's not, it doesn't tell a story anymore. Right. It's just, yeah. It's just for the sake of it. Yeah. So I think even if you look at the winners of single figure fantasy and sci-fi from previous years, every single one of them has a very ornate display base. Yep. And whenever I go to CB and I look in the case, I see so many single figure miniatures that are on their stock bases. Yeah. That's a, yeah, you're, you're, I don't think you're ever going to place in that category if you do that. 
um, because you're just not going to stand out from everything else. I think a display base and then one that has nice dimension in height and also in depth is incredibly important. So that's what I've been doing. I've been assembling and scratch building basically the front of a church, of yeah. an old style church. Having a lot of fun with it. Um, I love making display bases. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been working I on. Feel, I feel like you haven't put a lot of hours into that, right? No. no. <laughs> I, feel... I am behind schedule. <laughs> um, and so I, I wanted to kind of piggyback off your, like, consuming or absorbing as you're walking through the display cases and looking at all the entries. And this is an interesting thing about the competition pieces is that I feel, at least in my experience, two things will make you jump off the, the page. Right when when you're looking through and scanning all of a certain category, um, one, and this is the one that there's controversy behind, is oh my gosh, that's new. I've never seen that yeah, before. New minis, right? Yeah. New minis. And so if you if they go and you you have this beautifully sculpted you know backdrop of a church, and um, I believe you are planning on doing a lot of customization to the mini itself, yeah. that's going to not register as something people have seen before. Right. They don't recognize that mini. So I think that's a big thing that that jumps off the page. And two, honestly, there's there's the try hard factor. And I think the ornate display bases really go into that. Okay. Yeah. Because you could have the best painted figure there, but if it's on the standard 40 mil GW base, it's like turning in a paper at school that's one paragraph, but it's one beautifully written paragraph. Your teacher's gonna be like, you didn't put much time into this. Yeah. And so you need to like show your worth through the effort and painstaking process that kind of just shows itself. If you're not aware, Crystal Brush has a public vote. And so what that means is the judges will make an initial cut. So say there's like a hundred entries. They'll go through and they'll cut out the cruft and they'll shrink it down to what, 40 entries? Cruft a real word? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, then they cut out the cruft. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, what do you think? Is it like 60% of the models? Or how many? How much is it? Uh, I, th I don't know. Hey, no, I think there's not, a, yeah, there's not a standard number. No, you're right. It's like uh, how much is respectable to put on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Because right. last year there was like 12 finalist busts um, yeah. in the, probably the year before, maybe it might have been eight. So yeah, they just, they just cut stuff that isn't worth uh, the, the, like the hard analysis time. But anyways, after that point, the final score of your miniature is comprised of all the judges' critiques um, and also public vote. So what that means is that your miniature needs to be at a five-second like glance impressive because yeah. whenever someone's voting they're going through this gallery of 40 different minis they're not going to spend time analyzing the com the complex osl and like the light you use and the nuances and the color of your robe all it's going to be is that's cool that's not cool okay so you really need to wow people and public voting situations like that. Yeah, and you definitely, I mean, the good thing is, is that there's definitely not people that will just really like a painter. Just helping you emphasize your point. Yes. <laughs> and, and they're just they're just fanboys of a painter and they'll give them a 10 and they'll sure. give everyone else a zero. Nobody yep. does that. Yeah, no one does that. I mean, it's not a thing at all. I don't do that with my own models either. No, I haven't yeah. done that. I don't Never. do that. Never. I mean, you can go back and vote as many times as you want. <laughs> what, you can? Oh, I mean, just pick a different login each God, time, Scotty. Crystal Brush is such. Note to self. Kuma Anybody did, can win. Kuma did not get their shit together because <laughs> there are so many issues with Crystal Brush. Well, um, and Resin Beast doesn't have a public vote 
two. So it's straight up judges. When we'll see who are the judges for that. They haven't announced yet. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's gonna be like some. Some guy. <laughs> I like how you're, you're like going to say a name, but then you're like, no, I better no, not no, say no. that. I don't know any of the names of the judges for Crystal Brush other than maybe the guy who owns uh, Big Frog. Big Frog? That's not a thing. Um, <laughs> the guys make the orcs. The, the pirate orcs. The sea orcs. Big oh, Child. Big Child. Who, uh, Julio? No. Uh, I can't remember his name. Just do this and then we'll crop it in. Jose Palomares. See? That's his name. Okay. Uh, he's one of the judges. He's, yeah. the, he's the lead one. Yep. And then there's, uh, I don't know the other names. Anyways. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. So, I mean, yeah. it matters. If we get pieces in it, it matters. Yes. You're my best friend. <laughs> um, okay. So that was what we painted. The next segment is going to be um, answering a question. And these are typically going to be questions that have come from my patrons. Um, and like John explained earlier, there are questions that, aren't quantifiably answered. Sure. So you're never going to hear a question like, how do I do now metallic metal? That is much better served for a video with a script and a strict like visual aid. Yeah. But for this, we're going to answer the question, what makes miniature painting different or special when compared to traditional art forms? Mm, traditional art forms. What does that mean? Traditional art forms. 2D art. Okay. Sculpting like... Not tiny things. Sure. Like, Mike, like you know, David. Sure. Um, and stuff like that. So, okay. So we're talking about two-dimensional drawing and painting and three-dimensional sculpting. Correct. So here's the thing that I want to say. Um, miniatures, and this, and this is definitely a thought that's crossed my mind in the past, have at some point been considered 3D coloring books. You understand yeah. this? Yeah, I, I, exa- I know exactly what you're saying yes and so to explain this to people who don't understand what that means is basically i was given a thing that is already made and i can't put too much artistic value into it because a lot of decisions have been made for me um and so what i'm supposed to do is paint in the lines Mm -hmm. paint what they you know are typically and you can use different colors if you want to but you still have to obey the sculpt the yeah. real artist in the situation is the sculptor, not the miniature painter. That is a so that that is a thought that has crept through my mind at some point, and also probably through a lot of uh, the listeners' minds as well. So the question is: is what makes it not a three D coloring book? What makes it actually an artistic like expression that's worth people's consideration outside of miniature war gamers, right? And nerds. How do how do you get stuff in a gallery? Ooh. Man, you can't just ask like six questions and then go. <laughs> <laughs> Off to you. I'm going to go get some lunch. <laughs> um, I wanted the, the first thing, one of the things you were talking about, um, I wanted to ask you a question about that because this has okay. happened to me. Okay. Um, when you have like shown your work or even explained your work to somebody that has no idea about what this hobby is, <laughs> have you ever had the person ask almost right away, it's happened to me, almost right away, Wow, did you did you make that thing? I've yes, that's definitely not a whole lot, but I've heard that question a few times. Yes. And I I I think most of us that try to project it as art have probably had that question asked yeah. upon us. Yeah. And then you just go like <laughs> If you can't see it cuz you're listening to it, John just slumped down into his chair with a very sad face. <laughs> because you're like, "No." <laughs> Some guy in Edinburgh did it. Yeah. So, 
Um, and I think one of the, to to jump from that. I, I don't really have anything more to say about that other than I, I think if you do that, and there are people that do. Um, Trevarian is one that is a painter and a sculptor and good at both. Rafael Pica. Yep. Yeah. There are plenty that do that, um, and I think that's probably gonna have to be our get our foot in the door so we can then kick it down kind of position. That's the approach you want to take. Yes. Okay. Um, I have a different idea. Okay. For how we can approach this this question. Okay. But I think I think the issue with it at its base level is that it is still focused upon as a game and hobby first. And that such a mass, vast majority of the consumers of these little fine plastic men are for the gaming purpose and you just going through the motions to use it on the table. Yeah. And that's an entirely different world from trying to paint for art. Yeah. And oftentimes we're just looked at as tryhards for group one. <laughs> and, and we are. Which we are. <laughs> Right, but but there needs to be some separation there to, to say, yes, we acknowledge that because we as artists need that fan base for us to actually survive because if it was just left to niche sculptors and then the consumers of those products, no one would be making any money Yeah, and no one could actually be doing this to produce this art in the absolutely first place. absolutely so yeah that's an important thing we're not trying to say that gamers are like a second-class citizen at all but yeah actually necessary to growing this part of the hobby because when one part of it grows it all grows hey so, so i have a question for you actually yeah so, but, take all the dollars all the dollars that are spent on anything related to miniatures in the world what percentage of that is for painting for the sake of painting and what percentage is that for gaming is it like 90, oh boy. 90, 10? I feel like it's... Is it 95, I 5? Feel, I feel like it used to be about 95, 5. But if you look at in the last like two years, especially, or maybe even last year, the amount of stuff that's being shoved down the throats of the you need this yeah. new product in order for you to paint better. Yeah. And that's strictly pushed on the want to be better painter group yeah yep it's not just the right and then i highlight with fenrisian gray and then i null oil and then i where you're actually talking through the steps of your painting process in terms of exact product lines that is just doing it to to get a model out yeah but when you're thinking of a more deeper level now we have all these new fancy artist grade products that are being pushed. So I think it's gone from 95.5 to probably 85.15. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I'm always of the impression that since we are involved in painting for the sake of painting, that's ten, that tends to be what we surround ourselves with. True. You're, um, you're right. And so we're not aware of the larger community of gamers. So I think it's still probably closer to 90.10 or 95.5. Um, but it has grown in the past and you can see that in Kickstarter. Yeah. So if you look at miniature-related Kickstarters, a lot of them are games. Simon makes a ton of that. Like that's the release platform. Right. They don't make games anymore and just sell them normally. They only use Kickstarter. Right. So there's that. There's there's tons of other companies that also do that. I think Event Horizon is one of them. Um, mm -hmm. But there are also a lot of people that are doing single miniatures, uh, display miniatures, uh, paint ranges, um, all this stuff. So. You can really see the rise in that, which that wasn't really a thing 
five years ago. Yeah. Well, and that's a whole other discussion of Kickstarter and CMON. Why are you using that CMON? It's not to sustain your business model. Yeah, you sure as hell don't need it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Whereas opposed to a guy who's releasing a two masterfully um, sculpted busts, that's a great platform to get his word out and to make money and to know how many he needs to produce. Like, anyway, yeah. we won't go down that road <laughs> yeah. today. But um, there are a lot. You look at the the brushes with the fancy wooden boxes. We're not oh, going to call what they're called, right? Yeah. Um, or we're looking, <laughs> uh, or we're looking at the uh, you know the airbrushes with the the chrome like fit you like a glove spray nozzle, and you're looking at the artist grade heavy body acrylics again. <laughs> These are just generic yeah. words that I'm using. He's not referring to any specific product. No, 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 no. Of course not. <laughs> but these things are being pushed, and they're directly being pushed down your throat as you need this to get better. This is a different thing when, in fact, it's a thing that's always existed. We just slap a four miniature painter's tag on it, and suddenly, dollar signs. Okay. Well, we've gotten so far off of is this art. That is a... I love that conversation. I made a video about it. I love mm -hmm. it. Um, and I love to crucify companies. <laughs> no, hey. one, no one likes it more. Um, you don't like money. so I mean, <laughs> a little bit of both. A little bit of column A, column B. Uh, but anyways, the question, and you had a different angle than I wanted to have on it. What makes miniature paint different than traditional art? Um, the angle I want to take is, okay, we consider what makes art special. We consider what makes sculpture special, we consider what makes painted sculpture special, and then we consider what make what makes making it tiny. Oh. So just go along the path. Because there there are painted sculptures. That was a thing, that was a huge thing people used to do. They don't do it so much anymore, but they, they definitely have, have painted sculptures in the past. So mm -hmm. the real question is, is what value do you add to painted sculpture when you make it small? Or, you know, and we can ask this question from the perspective of like dollhouse things or like recreating like a 1700s mansion, like kind of at a, you know, one to seven scale. Like this doesn't need to stay into the miniature painting, miniature mm -hmm. wargaming world, but what value do you get from something when you make it tiny? It's super cute. It's so cute. <laughs> um, it's also a flex. Cause it's like, look at that. I made that and it's so tiny. <laughs> um, I think where my brain goes with this, and I don't know if this is where yours does, is that to me, that goes in the direction of artisan and not artist. Ooh, what's the difference? I actually don't know. Okay, so an artisan is what you would consider a, a master worker or craftsman okay. of a trade. So is, is a carpenter an artisan? Uh, not all carpenters are artisans. Uh -oh. But if you're a carpenter that makes beautiful rocking chairs oh. that have an artistic style to them. That lamination, carving. Right. Yeah. Right? That would be a master artisan. That doesn't make, mean he's an artist. You could look at it as a potentially as a work of art. And so there's where the gray line happens. But when we go to bringing scale into focus, I think there is artisan factors there more than artists so is this a is this a, does the world differentiate this word or is this a john thing uh i just thought of it just now because <laughs> <laughs> i think a lot of people consider themselves artists for a lot of different reasons right people at subway who make sandwich they're sandwich artists you yeah, know God, i'm so hungry now yeah <laughs> and to a certain sense maybe i can't argue with them it seems a little silly uh so i guess each yeah. one 
is unique. Yeah. There are no We're, two Subway sandwiches exactly the same ever created on the face of this earth. Is that the measure of art? <laughs> I have no idea. But yeah, the question, does making something small make it better, different, unique in a way that makes it better than a one-to-one bust of Caesar that was painted? I think that it makes it more difficult to make it look realistic and have that same kind of impact. However, yes. I have found that the general world audience view of when they see a little plastic duder, even if it's painted that it looks like, oh my God, that is just a real person shrunken down. It, the size of it makes it look and feel like a toy. And so it's not looked at in that severity of serious art. I think we're getting it to maybe into content as much as size being a limiting factor there. Okay. And again, back to the background of the of this form of art is in games. So we look at it in that way. Now, yeah. if I paint a space marine beautifully, and then I paint um, a little girl in uh, along the beach shore that's holding a balloon equally as beautifully, you show both of those to a standard human being, one is going to resonate as art more than the other. For sure. And so our content is a is a bit of a restrict, restricting factor. And a lot of um, really talented miniature painters like to separate themselves or are beginning to separate themselves. Matt DiPietro comes to mind as someone that is trying to push away whenever possible to show that miniature art in a different setting or a different subject matter. Roman Lapot, also another person. Yep. Yeah, so I think this may be this may seem obvious, but I think it's important to say is miniature painting when it follows a path that is more inclined toward an artistic subject, like Matt does or Roman does. The advantage miniatures have are that they are small. When you go into an art gallery, you don't see miniatures. Maybe you do. It's actually I think in Chicago the. Art Institute has a room called the Thorn Room. I can't remember that's what it's called, but that is a miniature room. But uh, in MIA and the Minneapolis Institute of Art, there is no uh, there's no art miniature section. So the question is is not not the question, but the point I'm trying to make is, is if someone in a, in a in a museum were to see a miniature, they'd be like, "Holy crap, what is that? I've never seen something so tiny." Mm-hmm. And so it's like. I feel like managers have a really amazing opportunity to enter into the museum territory simply because it's such a new and fresh thing. How long have canvases been painted for? Right. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So it's like I can see so many Rembrandt paintings, so many Impressionist paintings, Expressionist paintings before I start to be like, okay, I've kind of seen that. I mean, I'm not like a super art buff, so I, I have a hard time appreciating all of it. Right. But miniatures are so fresh and new that people could see that and really attach to it in a way that they don't attach to uh, traditional art forms. Yeah, and I think from the, the flip side of that coin is how difficult it is to make an impact as, a, as an art studio or a place of displaying of art um, when the size is scale is so small, right? Because when I round a corner and I see a, you know, 15 foot tall Matisse painting and it's like, I mean, it's there. And then yeah. there's like an eight inch wide gold filigree, <laughs> or, 
you know, it, it, all the way around. And, you know, it's just that is like, boom, sends a message. And then like when you come across the corner into a room of miniatures and you walk in there and you're like, oh, there's stuff on that table. <laughs> <laughs> is that supposed to be there? <laughs> right. I mean, maybe maybe you're just changing the point of impact. Maybe it's not right when you enter the room or right when you walk by at that five foot standard viewing distance. Maybe it's when you go from five feet up to two feet where you're just like, yeah, <laughs> and that, that happens. The harps play, <laughs> the clouds separate. Uh, so you know, there are such a thing as miniatures in the art world, and I'm curious if you've seen these or heard of these. But they're miniature portraits. Have you oh. ever heard of these? They're called miniatures, I think. Yeah, um, and they're just very small portraits. Yeah, well, like sometimes when I, uh, I I only learn about this from Instagram <laughs> because from the, the, all your your hashtags uh, you you link to. And it's oh like, yeah, yeah. When you do like mini miniature painting, you're just like, oh shit, that's a miniature painting. Yeah. Huh, I wonder why they tagged it with that name. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I guess I probably should have looked this up beforehand. But I guess the question is, is why did people start doing that? Why do they go from an eight and a half by 11 or 10 by 15, or I don't know what the standard size where canvases are, um, and then go to a two by four? What value did that bring to their art? I didn't look that up. Um, do you have an answer to that question? Uh, so the pictures could put into ye old wallet in olden times. It was there wallets <laughs> back in the day? Oh, you have no idea? <laughs> right, I'm just thinking while you put your, little, your kids' little school pictures in your wallets, maybe that was it. And they're yeah. like, or maybe maybe it started from like the pocket watches where you'd open it and then there would be, you know, the little picture of your honey bun. In if you there. took a Van Gogh miniature and you put it inside a fucking pocket watch, you'd probably be like capitally punished. <laughs> <laughs> that thing belongs in a frame. Um, I think the reason they did it, I think because it's different. Why did expressionists start painting in the way that they started painting? Why did impressionists start painting in the way they started painting? Because they were tired with the format and mm-hmm. they wanted something different. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, this is kind of just saying the same thing I already said, but take a painting, make it 3D, make it tiny. That is something the world hasn't seen in a museum. It's new and fresh and it's enticing and it's different. Mm. I think that's what makes it special. But you had a different angle. You said you wanted to approach it from looking at people like Rafael Apica or Treverian, which I don't know his real name. Do you know his real name? Chris. Chris. Last name? I could look it up on my phone. <laughs> I don't want... I don't Everyone want... knows Treverian. Um, what value is it approaching it from that angle? So the uh, approaching it from the the source creator and, and painter? Yeah. Um, because, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but um, historically when sculpture was painted, it was painted by the sculptor. Oh, maybe. So it, it, there is no changing of hands. Um, I also, I, I like to make this connection. So um, I, was, I was a comic book nerd when I was a kid and I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid. Mm. Um, and at least at this time, this is in the 80s and 90s, um, I th- I'm assuming it's still done the same way. There is an art team that creates a final comic book, right? And typically, you know of the uh, comic book artists. Um, those the names that you know are the people that drew the comics. There's a dude that's the inker. He traces. Right. That is his full-time job is traces. Is he an artist? I think we can probably yes. safely say yes. People right? do font. Right. Yes. Right. And then there's the color dude. Yes. 
is that still an artist? And it's all based off of the original man's sketches, the original art. And so I, I think that the tough part we have with that is comic book art is relatively new to, if you even can consider it, fine art. And that's kind of the direction that we want to push this is fine art. Well, I don't think you can jump from zero to 60 that way. Okay. I think you have to take the route that something like comic books, something like anime, something like even television, it is to work your way in. And in order to do that, you need to kind of have uh, something to lean on and put your foot in the ground and then push off of. And I think going from the individual that went from a ball of clay to a painted masterpiece is the best way to sell it to the masses. Okay. Okay. From there, then folks consume that final product and just appreciate that. And then you can start to expand upon that uh, to just focusing on the quality of the painting. But more importantly, we look at, again, going back to the crystal brush stuff, um, the story that's being told. Mm -hmm. And it started as just a little single plastic figure. And suddenly in one view, I see the story. I I picture the... um, Ben Comics piece that he painted probably 10 years ago uh, that tells the story of a space marine that's living in a blown out rhino. And oh, the, him and his the dog. The drop pod one? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The it's an Imperial pod. Guard, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. And so you, you can tell that it had been there for years and he's got a you know mangy old dog there with him and he's it's taken up shot. And so we know the story of this person's life in yes. one tiny little six inch by six inch square yes but to play devil's advocate um you could do that with the 2d painting right what what about it being small makes it more or have more value (sighs) what makes it have more value because it's small right i think this goes back to my my talk on on it whether or not it's an artist or an artisan it's the craftsmanship to be able to accomplish quality at that scale yes i agree with that i think that's a good point because you have to construct something yeah. With a painting, you're kind of constructing something, but you're just doing it all with a paintbrush. On a, on a, on a, uh, you're essentially freehanding it, to use the miniature paint term, which, <laughs> right. is, which is known as painting normally <laughs> uh, for a canvas artist. But with miniatures, you are actually physically building something right. that is supposed to look realistic at a, what is the scale? I don't know, 32 mil or 1 to 50, whatever it is. Sure. Um, yeah. And that's a good point, too, is that... Um, I didn't maybe sculpt this little figure, but in order for me to tell the story, to make it a piece of art, and and I feel like a really strong factor that you need to have in order for it to anything to be considered art is does it evoke an emotional response? Yeah. In order for we go from little spaceman pew pew to <laughs> art, it, we need to craft that story, and we need to do that individually because we are the storyteller. Yeah. There is no just, oh, I go down to the hubby lobby and then I buy the bloopity blur. Yeah. And then this pre-built I, diorama. And I pop the duder on there and it's art. Yeah. That's not art. You know, yeah. that's where that's where you say, well, if I just buy the Imperium 40 mil bases and pop my dudes on there and submit it to Crystal Brush, that's, I could argue that's not art because the, that's just you taking a thing, popping a thing on and, and doing the 3D coloring book, even if you do it amazingly. But you're not telling a story. So the essential... Uh, to art is evoking an emotion, maybe, and telling a story. Mm-hmm. I f- I, for, okay, t- tangent. I fucking hate 
the phrase telling a story because <laughs> it is overused so much. But it is literally what's happening in a diorama. Yes. You are taking a slice of someone's life mm-hmm. and freeze framing it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are trying to tell a story as much as I hate that phrase. Like people have said like roller coasters trying to tell a story. It's like, no, you're not. Right. You're just entertainment. Stop. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> well, uh, well uh, let's put it this way. Um, what's another phrase that is often used that is synonymous with tell me a story? Okay. You're putting me on the spot a little bit here. Do you already have an answer to this question? I have an answer. You have an answer? Right. That's why I asked. Give me five seconds. Rhetorical. Mm. Tell me a story. Are you just using synonyms? Or is this a whole new way to say this? This is not a whole new way. This is a real no, thing. I have no idea. Tell me. Paint me a picture. Oh, fucking hell. Right? So <laughs> synonymous with tell me a story is paint me a picture. I don't like that one anymore. That is art, that, that is art right? Because art is painting me a picture is telling me a story. It It is implied in the creation process. So uh, I think that, I don't know. Fuck. I forgot where I was going with that. No, it just, but it was good. It's a different way to say it. It was good wherever I was going. Okay. You have anything else to say about this topic? Gosh. If this is one of those where it's like um, early on, even like a year ago, I'm like, oh, nobody talks about, you know, this with mini painting and art and stuff. I mean, it's talked about, but no one's like taking a stand. And now I feel like lately more people are weighing in on it. And I yeah. think that's a good thing. Yeah. So I don't want to beat this to dead horse here, but I really like the angle that we took on it and what makes it special you're not just saying is it or isn't it art are you patting our own egos right now yeah we did a great drop look at that look at video. wow <laughs> for what it's worth roman lapot had a uh what are they called a gallery session where he brought his miniatures and also large printed pictures of them and he had a session where people came in and looked at them like not miniature painters not war gamers and looked at it and talked to him so he's he's doing it, he, and I think if, if anyone's going to champion it, I think Roman's a great person to do that. So it's becoming more of a thing, if that's any evidence. Um, I thought you were going to say that like he had two rooms set up, like this is those car commercials where like, man, what's the best car for reliability? And they open the door and it's all their cars and they're all Chevys or whatever. It's like, oh, it's my car. <laughs> right. All right. So that they were going to go to a room where they had all his framed pictures of his miniatures, right? And they're like, oh, wow, wow, Roman, you did great here. Good painting. And then they go to the next room and it's the actual miniatures. Oh, and they're like, holy oh, shit, it's tiny. <laughs> Damn it. I need to cut off of that idea, Roman. Should have done it, Roman. Yeah. We can time. do it. Let's right. do it. Yeah, because we're good enough to do that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, people will come. <laughs> Anyone will come. No, they won't. We only need to create like another dozen pieces. We can do that in the next seven years yeah. at this rate. <laughs> seven years. Yeah. I, I think I finish one display piece at a rate, you know, about one per year and a half. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like someone's going to be the punch if we stick, stick to that timeline. Yeah, we shouldn't have said it. Now everyone knows. Damn it. Okay. Well, anyways, I think we had a good conversation. To recap, my opinion was that miniature painting is special because it's tiny, which is stupid, but I think it's worth saying because people haven't seen it before. And it could really capture someone's imagination and attention because it's something that's not normal. And then John said that there is an artist versus artisan quality to it, where the value comes in the construction of something real at such a small scale. And that in and of itself is impressive. Is that a good recap? I like that. Okay, cool. So that is the end of season zero, episode one of Deafening Roar. 
Um, if you guys have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it in the comment section below um, about how we can make this better. Maybe it sucks. Maybe we'll just stop after three episodes. But we planned three episodes for season zero. And if it's any good, we will continue it. Watch but, all three. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. before you tell us to stop, and mm. then you can. Yeah, because it's going to change a lot in the next two. <laughs> it's not going to. <laughs> uh, but anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in. I don't have an outro planned. <laughs> okay, we'll cut it on that. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>